Christian Heritage Ministry, in cooperation with Fuller Seminary, proudly presents the Old Fashioned Revival Hour, a broadcast of the Gospel with Dr. Charles E.
feast. Come for the table now is spread. Ye famishing, ye weary, come and thou shalt be richly fed. Hear the invitation, come whosoever will. Praise God for full salvation, for whosoever will. All things are ready, come to the feast, leave every care and worldly strife. Come peace upon the love of God, and drink everlasting life. heavenly sunshine. Everybody with a smile now and put it out over the air, heavenly sunshine across the nation. Why, how this little chorus is loved around the world. As you sing through the first time, be sure and turn around and shake hands with as many as possible. All together on heavenly sunshine. Heavenly heavenly sunshine on the old-fashioned revival. I don't know why it is, but that course just seems to satisfy all of our, a great part of our needs. Heavenly sunshine shining in this old dark night of sin. Sing it once more and really lift it up this time. All right. Heavenly three bulletin boards, electric lighted. I'd like to have you at the close of the broadcast take a look at those boards and shows the work of the Fuller Evangelistic Foundation and the Theological Seminary. Friends, your daily united prayers have truly moved the arm of God on behalf of this work. 
And we have witnessed a mighty victory because you faithfully held us up before the throne of grace daily. And God's word tells us, let us not be weary in well-doing, for we shall reap if we faint not. And this is a faith work to God's glory, and we go just as God makes it possible.
so glad you can be here after three weeks absence. The Lord's been awfully good to you, hasn't he? Indeed he has. You hold out your light now. All right. Read the letters. I hope, I hope my voice holds out. I think it's going to be all right. Greetings, friends, to each one of you everywhere. And I'm so glad to be here in my place again after being away for three Sundays. That's unprecedented. Last Sunday I enjoyed every moment of the broadcast, and especially the quartet singing Under His Wings. A young serviceman writes a very appealing letter. Dear sir, I was sitting here tonight writing a letter and idly turning the dial of my little radio. For the first time in months, I got your program. My buddy sat on the other side of the desk and we both listened to every word. I believe it was the Lord working, for during the sermon, my buddy became very much interested and afterwards it was my privilege to lead him to Christ. Truly our God works in a mighty way. At Lockland in training I felt so alone, but after eight weeks of basic training, the Lord blessed me with three Christian friends. Now here in this place I have this other Christian buddy. The Lord does provide his children with fellowship, those who trust him, and he does give victory over temptation. I've grown much closer to him since I am in service, as I knew when I came in that the wages of sin is death, and I decided to go God's way at all costs. He has been wonderful to me, and I want my life to count to win others for my Lord. This good letter, I read you part of it, dear Dr. Fuller, how nice it was to lie on a hospital bed after my operation here in Rochester and to hear the familiar voice of a revered friend faithfully pressing the claims of God's word over the old-fashioned revival hour. I have talked to many folks about the Savior, 
and of those who still are outside of Christ, about two out of five do listen frequently to the revival hour. What an access God has given you, Dr. Fuller, to the lost, and what a responsibility to draw the net. I spent three hours on the operating table. Before the operation, I led the surgeons and nurses and the anesthetists in oral prayer. God has blessed, and I shall soon be over the hump. How good God is to all who trust him. In Toronto, I met a lad in seminary who was converted, listening to the old-fashioned revival hour. And Dr. Gray, who is a member of the Board of Governors of this clinic, asked me this morning about your personal health, Dr. Fuller, and spoke appreciatively of your vast radio ministry. That's the end of the letter. And friends, I know Mrs. Gray very well, the mother of this doctor. She has three fine sons that she and her husband have reared, all godly men, all outstanding in their fields, and this little mother listens every Sunday to us from her summer home up on the main coast. That is all I shall have time to read this morning, and I'm so glad the Lord enabled me to have the voice to read these letters to you again. Number 127 on your song sheet, Standing on the Promises, and remain standing for prayer. Now all together, just lift it up heartily and sing out to the millions listening in. 
Mrs. Fuller and Dan and Ruth and little Janice out in the wings of the auditorium here. A year old last Tuesday. It's so cute to see the little cake with one candle on it. Bless her heart. She's growing up wonderfully. Dan, you lead us in a word of prayer, will you? Thank you, Dad. May we all bow our heads together in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that in the midst of this insecure, unpredictable world, that we who have believed in thy Son can stand on the promises which Christ has made. Father, today we thank thee that we can proclaim a Christ who can solve every problem and every need in every human heart, no matter what that problem or need may be. Father, how thankful we are for Christ who said, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And so, Father, today, whatever the need may be, Whatever the heart hunger, the thirst may be, whether it be anxiety, bitterness of soul, discouragement, loneliness, whatever the problem may be, O oh, Father, we pray that many may turn to Christ, believe on him, and come to know his all-sufficiency and his trustworthiness. And Father, in these days we would pray for our beloved land of America. We would pray that she would not put her trust in material things, but that she might turn to thee as in the days of old and repent before thee and find thee to be her security in these desperate days. For we ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Oh, 
Listening to the Old Fashioned Revival Hour with Dr. Charles E. Fuller. His message today is titled, Sin Unto Death. Open your Bibles to the book of 1 John, chapter 5, as we rejoin the broadcast. I'll return after Dr. Fuller's message to give you information on the many resources available from this ministry. Please take your Bibles and turn to 1 John, 1 John at the close of the New Testament, 5th chapter, the latter part of the 16th verse. Please give me your careful attention. I'm speaking upon a very serious and a very solemn matter today, a sin unto death, sin unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. May the word of God wend its way into your heart as an arrow, bring conviction, and convince you of righteousness and of judgment to come. The beloved apostle whom Jesus loved penned four books of the New Testament, the Gospel of John and the three epistles, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. These four books, written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, have one overall theme in common, that is everlasting light, eternal light. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, 
that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting light. And later in the Gospel of John, Jesus saith unto him, and it was at the Last Supper, I am the way, the truth, and the light. And in John's three epistles, it is interesting to note that first John has to do with light, second John with the truth, while third John has to do with the way, just the reverse order of the words in John 14, 6. In 1 John, if you'll note carefully, the epistle is directed to my little children. That is, those who have, upon hearing the gospel, the word of life, received Christ Jesus as their personal Savior. Those who are in living union with the risen Lord, now sharing, partaking of his resurrection life. And these words, my little children, my born-again ones, occur seven times in First John. Furthermore, it's interesting to note that the word life, eternal life, occurs 15 times in First John. And hence the conclusion is that this epistle is directed to all true believers, those now possessing eternal life. This eternal life manifests itself in fellowship, not only with those who are born again, but fellowship with God. And so we read in the first chapter of 1 John, verse 3, that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship, communion with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Again, in verse 7, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. Note the never-changing basis of fellowship, please. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleansing us from all sin. That is the unfailing, never-changing basis of true spiritual born-again fellowship, the blood of Jesus Christ. Once dead in trespasses and sin, afar off, alienated from the life of God, now we are brought nigh, we are reconciled, we have peace with God through faith in Christ Jesus on the grounds of the substitutionary shed blood. By the way, may we note in passing a few occurrences of the word life in First John, verse 1, that which was from the beginning of chapter 1, we have heard which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled the word of life. Verse 2, for the life was manifested. Turning over to chapter 3, verse 14, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. And then whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. 
And ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Chapter 5, 11. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in the Son. Now will you listen? He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. I don't care who you are. I don't care what your rating may be or your standing. Unless you possess Christ Jesus as your personal Savior and have a witness in your heart that you have passed from death unto life, you are a lost soul bound for a Christless eternity and will so be bound for that destiny unless you repent and accept Christ as your personal Savior. I can't make it any clearer. Now this life, this resurrection life, leads us to wonderful fellowship, communion with God. And His little children in First John are seen in fellowship with God, with the God of eternity. And no wonder the Apostle John in the first verse of chapter 3 says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. What a wonderful privilege. Afar off made nigh. But not only that, a son of God. Beloved, it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when He, Christ, shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. But stop. Wait a moment. Over against this beautiful spiritual picture of life and fellowship and communion on the basis of the blood of Jesus Christ cleansing us from all sin, a warning note is sounded. The note of death in contrast to life. Strange, isn't it? After speaking so much of life and fellowship and the blessings of fellowship, that we should find this note of death in chapter 5, the latter part of verse 16. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that she shall pray for it. The sin unto death. What is it? Who commits this sin unto death? What are the consequences of this sin unto death? How may one know whether or not he has committed this sin unto death? Fellow believer, pray with me now. I want to give this to the godless, careless church members and to you who are outside of Christ that you may be checked and brought to a saving knowledge of Christ. Please keep this basic fact in mind that First John deals with the great theme of life, eternal life, and that through this life it manifesting itself in fellowship and communion with one another and with our Heavenly Father in Heaven. Fellowship on the basis of the shed blood of the Lord Jesus. 
Now, in connection with this blessed privilege of fellowship, for all those who are in Christ Jesus, First John sets forth five conditions of that fellowship, or putting it in another way, five suggestions are given, which suggestions, if followed, will keep the flow of fellowship uninterrupted, flowing with great power and spiritual blessing. Take your pencil now and pen and jot these down and meditate upon them at the close of the broadcast. First of all is the confession of sin. Chapter 1, 5 to chapter 2, 2. The confession of sin. Now will you notice it please? Unconfessed sin on the part of a believer checks, diverts the flow, stops the flow of fellowship between the heavenly Father and His born-again child. Hence, in 1 John 5, 7, if, if, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If, now notice it, 1 John 1, 9, I should say, if we confess, our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, will you note it, please? If any man says he has not sinned, notice verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Go one step further. Verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make God a liar, and His Word is not in us. And so there is sin to be confessed. You who are taught sinless perfection, God help you. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And the child of God, no matter who He is, or how far advanced He is, or how spiritual He may be, he needs to daily confess his sin. Then in chapter 2, 1 and 2, we have this encouragement. We have an advocate, a pleader, an attorney at the court of heaven. Christ, who is the propitiation for our sins. What does that big word propitiation mean? Simply this, and I've given it to you, but I give it to those who have never heard. It has a twofold meaning. It means Christ is our meeting place, our mediator, the one and only through whom you can come to God through the way, the truth, and the life. Not only that, but it means our covering. And as we come to God through Christ, He is our mediator, our meeting place, and we are covered with the robe of His righteousness. The second condition for maintaining fellowship is found in chapter 2, verses 3 to 6. I'll give it to you in verse 3. And hereby we do know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. In other words, the second condition of unbroken fellowship is obedience to God's Word. Third, is found in chapter 2, beginning at verse 11. 
especially verse 9, brotherly love. He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother in Christ is in darkness even until now. And brother, listen to me, if you have hatred in your heart for a fellow believer, drop on your knees, confess your sins, and ask God to forgive you, even as God has for Christ's sake forgiven you. Clean up and let the flow of fellowship uninterrupted come through your blessed channel, your earthly tabernacle. Third or fourth, hatred of the world. Now notice it, what it says in chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. You compromising worldly church member, listen. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of the Father, or the will of God, abideth forever. Romans 12:2. Be not conformed to this world system. And world conformity is the great sin of the church in this present hour. There's some so-called places, and I trust that your church is not among this group, that are simply socialized, dancing, card-playing churches with a spattering of religious respectability. God have mercy on you. And come out and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. Having a come out from those that have a form of godliness, but no power. And then the fifth, a condition of fellowship is the confession of Christ, chapter 2, especially verses 22, 23, and 28. Who is a liar but he that denieth Jesus is the Christ? Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. And I tell you, when you're born again, you'll love to confess Christ. And if you do not confess Christ but deny Him before men, God says you'll be denied before Him. All right. Now, these five things, confession of sin, obedience to the Word, brotherly love, hatred of the world, confession of Christ, if you're sincere and honest before God and our clean channel through which He can flow His power, what about the sin unto death now? Keeping in mind that the teaching of First John is on the basis of fellowship and eternal life. Now, First John 5.18. I want to give it to you. I want to help you. We know that whatsoever is born of God sinneth not. But he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one touches him not. We know that whosoever is born of God does not practice or continue in sin. Fellow believer, you may sin. We all have sinned. As I said a moment ago, if you have not sinned as a believer, you make God a liar. 
But you as a believer, even though you do sin, you'll not make a practice of sin and continue in sin. And your manner of life will be not to stay in sin or continue in sin. This is where I want to help you. I was raised on an orange ranch. You probably could tell that by looking at me. But I noticed, that's all right, Mother, quiet the little one. Thank you so much. On the orange ranch, I noticed many, many things and learned many blessed lessons. Whenever we'd see an orange tree with the beautiful green shiny leaves and the golden fruit, we know that that tree was healthy and the sap from the main trunk was going out to that branch producing the God-given fruit. But let something girdle that branch and cut the bark or tie something around that branch and cut off the sap from the main trunk and watch it, watch that branch wither, dry up, and the fruit wither and shrink and finally drop to the ground. That's the point. I'm driving at you. You know by the fruit produced that there is an uninterrupted flow before something interrupted the flow of that sap. So we read in John's Gospel 15 too, Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. Follow me. If a man abide not in me in fellowship, confession of sin, obedience to the Word, brotherly love, hatred of the world, confession of Christ. If a man abide not in me, that is in full free fellowship, he is cast forth. Something comes in and stops the flow of resurrection life and he is cast forth as a branch and is withered and men gather them and cast them into a fire and they are burned useless. And you who are living out of fellowship, as far as God's concerned, you are useless in God's service. All right. Turn to 1 Corinthians 11. I, I wish I had a little more time. 1 Corinthians 11.30. It's at the Lord's Supper. To you who partake of the Lord's Supper and drink of that cup unworthily, you drink to yourself condemnation or damnation. For this cause, verse 11, uh, 30 of the 11th of 1 Corinthians, for he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, you come to the table with unconfessed sin, God will deal with you. For this cause, many are weak, weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. And as we look 1 Corinthians through, especially the 5th chapter, fornication was running rampant through the church. And God said to the Corinthian church, it is reported commonly that there's fornication among you and you're puffed up. Now notice, in the name of our Lord Jesus, when you're gathered together in my spirit to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh. And here's the point. If you, my brother... Continue, make a practice of sin. It'll be sin unto death for fellowship. And finally, you'll pass the line and it'll be unto the destruction of your body. Delivered over to Satan 
for the destruction of the flesh. And I don't know when you pass that line. I don't know when you come to that line where you're past feeling, with your conscience seared, no more concerned for spiritual things. If you haven't a flicker of hope or a pull towards the things of God, you're dead, useless, a castaway. God will set you. But if there's the slightest flicker, the slightest concern, the slightest pull towards the things of God, repent and do the first works, else I'll spew thee out of my mouth. There is a sin unto death. You may have all of the form and the ritual, even sing the songs, but no concern for the lost, no concern for growth in grace, no concern, no vision, dead, useless. God help you to come today pray. Friends outside of Christ and fellow church members across the nation, you've been playing with this thing called Christianity. Mixed up with the world, conformed to the world. God help you to drop on your knees and confess your sins. Say, oh God, receive me, cleanse me, prune me if Purge me. I want to be clean. Blessing upon you.